Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Welcome to the latest episode of the Talking Theme podcast. I'm your host Majid, and today I have with me brother Rash and uh, brother Aftab. How are you doing, brothers? You well? Alhamdulillah. Assalamu alaikum and uh, thanks for thanks for the invite. Assalamu alaikum. Yeah, alhamdulillah, really good. Thank you, bro. Yeah, all good, man. Afi, it's been a it's been a while. Uh, last time we had you on, uh, that time we was actually recording in the studio. You might remember things have changed, and I think 2020 is uh, is almost over. Uh, it's been a tricky one for you know the the talking podcast podcast as well. You know it's been tricky in trying to get these topics to our audience, but uh, you know the the topic that we want to do today is a really important one. But maybe this rush, maybe this is the last podcast of the year. Yeah, you never know. Actually, it might be good to do one in a couple of weeks, but you know, you just don't know what's going to happen, really. So, like a, like a reflections one or reflections of twenty twenty and all what's been going on and which tier, <clears throat> which tier we're going to be in by then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, subhanallah, man. Subhanallah. Well, obviously, the the, the vaccine is uh, is uh, as they say is all of us out, isn't it? So uh, we'll see what happens. So, inshallah, getting on to today's topic because even though uh, our you know audience and those who watch. Or listen to the podcast will know that uh, we'll probably not be recording as frequently as we used to we were we used to do but obviously with the pandemic and stuff uh, it slowed things down but sometimes a topic comes about which just has to be spoken about and today we're going to discuss the issue of political Islam so as you guys may recall um, maybe if time flies man maybe it's been a month now there was that uh, attack a uh, gunman attack in Vienna um, and uh, actually, it was the uh, second November, so yeah, it is, it's, it's over a month now. So after that attack, what was interesting is uh, obviously that attack was blamed on ISIS or blamed on Muslims, right? But the statements that were made by the the Chancellor of Austria, uh, Sebastian Kurz, after this was was a bit strange. Um, speaking about the attack. The, the the violent attack killing people but then at the same time what they were saying is they were calling for the banning mm. of political islam okay and actually shutting down mosques and what he said was he said we will create a criminal offense called political islam in order to be able to take action against those who are not terrorists themselves but who create the breeding ground for them and as we know um, recently there's a lot going on in france with Islamic separatism or political Islam. We've done podcasts on this already. Um, but the, the, the thing about political Islam is that it's not just something which is being spoken about or banned uh, in the West. We also see that even in the Muslim lands, in places like the UAE, in places like Egypt, and uh, even recently with uh, Saudi Arabia, where the Saudi Council of Senior Scholars, they, they came out and they like issued a fatwa. And what they said was that Muslim Brotherhood is a terrorist group and does not represent the true values of Islam. Now, we know that it's not just the issue of Muslim Brotherhood, Ikhwan al-Muslimin. Whenever uh, these countries are talking about Ikhwan al-Muslimin or other groups, they're referring to groups which they, they say promote a political version of Islam, right? Now, it's no surprise that statements like these, these fatwas or even the, the statements made by the uh, Austrian chancellor where he linked uh, someone shooting and killing people to political Islam. And it's no surprise that 
this is something that will confuse Muslims, okay? And that's why we felt that it's essential that we discuss this issue. And the sort of questions that we want to address today in this podcast are things like, what exactly is political Islam? Is political Islam from Islam? Or is this like an innovation, a bidah? Uh, and also, why do so many governments around the world, both in the West and the East, why do they have an issue? Why do they have a problem? And some people may even say, why do they fear political Islam? Okay, so what we see here is, uh, we are, in a way, there's two things. There's, there's politics and Islam because mm. it's political Islam, right? So let's do it in a way where we can, inshallah, try to break it down to try to make it um, easily understood by, you know, by everyone listening and, and watching. So the first thing I think is worth addressing is what is politics? Let, let, let's let's uh, deal with this issue first. What is politics? Okay, let, so let me start off on that one then, really. And this is not to say that, you know, people don't understand what politics is. That would be unfair on a population, on, unfair on our read, um, listeners and our watchers. But just to break it down, it is important because we maybe don't appreciate it because it's just all around us. Politics is all around us, so we don't always think about it in this way. Um, what I would do is I would describe it first and foremost. It's politics is quite a neutral term. It's not specific to any creed as such. It's kind of the best way to just look at it is politics is looking after the internal and the external affairs of people, yeah, or a nation, yeah. So you have to look after their affairs, and some of those affairs are internal. In other words, be that education, be that, you know, people carrying out crimes, how you deal with that, be that resolving disputes. We're human beings at the end of the day. Human beings have disputes with one another. And politics is about looking after those affairs and making sure when disputes occur that there is a resolution. But the reason why I mention it's internal and external because co politics is about looking after those internal affairs, but also looking after the external affairs. And that's where things like foreign policy come into it. So politics in its more general way of looking at it is those things of legislation, systems. Systems is a good thing to refer to because politics, you see systems that are being implemented within it. But really the best way for someone external to look at this is just to say it's a neutral term that is for looking after the interests and the affairs of people. And really the last little point, and again, you guys can add to this, is we should look at politics though in that it is um, influenced by the ideas people carry, okay? So the politics in one area may be slightly different to a politics in another area because the ideas that people carry, you know, the people that then implement the politics to an extent, need to take it into account. Obviously, they might deceive them, but they still need to take the feelings of the people on the ground into account. Otherwise, it's more of an oppressive kind of rule. So yeah, so that's how I'd like to start it off, really, in, in terms of letting people understand that politics is just about looking after people's interests. Okay, uh, Afi, you want to add anything to that? Yeah, Jazakallah Rashid, that's a really good explanation there. And um, just touching on uh, what, what you uh, defined it there as, as, as looking after the interests of the people. And if we just focus on that bit, it's actually, you know, it, it, it's 
it's a neutral concept or, you know, in Pakistan, you could probably argue it's, it's pretty noble. But for some reason, Muslims have kind of like perceived politics to be dirty or something that we should stay away from. And, and I think this comes back down to exactly how you've defined it. So the, the definition itself is pretty noble. And in fact, most Muslims, mm. I believe, are political in nature because, you know, we'll see on the internet when uh, there's atrocities going on uh, against Muslims in India, in Burma, against the Uyghurs, or even Palestine is a classic example. Muslims are looking for a solution to this because mm. they feel this affiliation, this fraternity with our brothers and sisters, and this is something that we want to tackle. And that's political in nature by the definition that you've just mentioned. Mm. Where it starts to get dirty, is the basis by which people are looking for those solutions to these affairs, managing these affairs of, 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 of people. Forget Muslims, just of people. And it's that basis that we should question whether that's, that basis is correct or dirty or whether that basis is, is wrong. And, you know, and, and we shouldn't use the, 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 the measure for us shouldn't be the political examples of the political system that we see in the world today, mm. be it the likes of Nawaz Sharif in Pakistan or, you know, the, the, the MPs here who, and, you know, every day we hear the corruption that they've uh, taken part in. That is not the measure of whether this, the polit politics is right or wrong. That's just a measure of the basis and the criteria mm. that these guys are using. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what, just as a quick point to add to that, it's really good um, in terms of, Way, one way for me to understand it is, you know, when in a lot of topics you have theory and then you have implementation of the theory, I think what Afi is saying is, is links to the fact that the theory of politics is noble because it's looking after people's affairs. When it comes into implementation, what we see today across the globe, and this includes in our lands as well, as well as non-Muslim lands, is that in our lands we see a dirty version of politics because you view politicians as liars and cheaters and, and looking after their pocket and not looking after the pockets of, of people. And then in the Western lands, you see politi politicians as the elitists, the people who, again, looking after the pockets of the capitalists. So the implementation of that theory is what we see and appears dirty and therefore we think politics is dirty okay yeah i mean uh like you mentioned there if you remember recently uh well it's been quite a few years now we had the uh, the mp scandal mm -hmm. and uh what you saw is you've seen a lot of youngsters who uh some of them actually were disillusioned by politics altogether mm -hmm. whilst others you know, uh, you see that, uh, like the, I think it's called momentum uh, movement that's linked to like Corbyn and, and the Labour Party. You saw that was actually gaining quite a lot of popularity because the youngsters saw that as an alternative politics. So, I mean, what you guys have said then, and subhanAllah, it really, uh, uh, you know, makes it clear that politics itself is something which is just needed for humans to, to interact, to, to humans to live. And, you know, it's not in itself good or bad. It's neutral. It's just how, you know, how people, like you said, I think Rash said, you know, you look after the affairs of the people, govern the affairs, affairs of the people, whether it's internal or external. And I think that's the first point which is very important to make clear in this, in this, the, in this podcast, because there are a lot of people, especially in the Muslim lands, who see politics as something which is dirty, um, so, okay, so now that we've explained what is politics, 
the the other thing I think is really important, like a lot of people might actually think, what kind of question is this? But I think it's worth discussing what is Islam? Because you know, if you if you haven't got the correct understanding of Islam or you know, if there's if you've got some misconceptions, mm-hmm. then it may well be that you don't see how Islam and politics has anything to do with each other. It's, it's, it's possible, right? So what I want to discuss now is, you know, what, what is Islam? What would you guys say? Very broad question, yeah? So what is Islam? No, you can, you can simply explain Islam as what some people say, and I'm going to slightly, slightly disagree with them. You, you hear the common saying that um, Islam is a way of life. Yeah, and, and a way of life being this is how I live my life. It gives me rules and regulations for my life. It gives me answers to my fundamental questions. So what I would say, I would just slightly disagree with that or slightly add to that, maybe not disagree, is that the way I would describe Islam is, is obviously as we know, it's submitting to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah, it's submitting to the rules and regulations that he's defined for us. But at the same time, I would say Islam comes as a set of systems for life. So anybody, when they're looking at Islam, they should look at it and say, yes, it means submitting to the creator, but submitting to the creator is by abiding by his rules and regulations. And his rules and regulations did not come to me or you as an individual. They came to us and not just us as Muslims, us as mankind as systems that need to be implemented either personally or societally actually both in order to look after the affairs of people so can you see how that then links back to how we described politics Um, but then looking at islam islam is about those systems of life that help human beings live their life that might be one way of putting it i'm sure there's that you could describe islam in many ways yeah, I, I think the, the, the bit I want to add uh, just, just to that, and then I'd, I'd like to uh, hear Appy's views on this as well, is that in line with the discussion, what I would say is that, you know, there's a lot of terms that are given uh, to Islam. And, and it's not surprising that these don't come from Muslims themselves. They come from, uh, you know, the Kufar, the, the disbelievers, whether it's Islamism, whether it's political Islam, or whether it's, you know, separatist Islam and this sort of stuff. So the, the point I want to make first and foremost is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he tells us in the, in the Quran that truly, you know, the religion, the deen with Allah is Islam. As Muslims, we, Islam is Islam. Okay, it's called Islam. It's not called political Islam. It's not called Islamism. It's not called, it's called Islam. And that's, that's one point I want to make. But linked to what you're saying is that what we see then is that if Islam is systems for life, like you said, Rash, uh, and I think that's more accurate because someone did say that to me once, that our oh, way of life, Buddhists have a way of life. You know, the, you know, in Islam, I say, so it's not really as, as uh, decisive as systems of life. Now, those systems, what I will say is linked to what you guys said about politics before. In Islam, we have systems that are uh, internal and we have systems that are external. We have rules that are concerning what we do with ourselves. There's rules that we cons- are concerning the relationship between us and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But there's also the rules that concern the relationship between us and other human beings. So what we see is that Islam, by its nature, is comprehensive. 
So by its nature, Islam is spiritual. And by its nature, Islam is political. So I wouldn't call it political Islam. I would say Islam is Islam. But maybe it's important that we have to point out that Islam is political because there's been a disconnection between the and, and people just see it as spiritual. Otherwise, it would be sufficient for us to say Islam is, uh, you know, uh, Islam is Islam. We don't, we don't have to say it's, you know, the creed is spiritual and the creed is political, right? Uh, Afi, what were you saying on this? It's a really, really interesting uh, question, Maj, and, uh, you know, it's, it's one that, uh, it's, it's a discussion that's been going on for decades, actually, uh, ever since I can remember, um, you know, starting to, to try and understand Islam better, that is Islam just spiritual or is it spiritual and political? And I think, again, it comes down to an incorrect definition. I think people define spirit as, you know, it is uh, to, to be spiritual, uh, it, it is carrying out those actions of ibadat. So, you know, it's, it's the prayers, it's the, it's the fasting, etc. And these are the actions that bring you closer to Allah, which, which, which is true, but it's just not, it's not enough. Because if you look at um, defining uh, what it means to be spiritual a bit more, it's, it's addressing what's before life, as in Allah, who's the creator who created the, the universe, um, and everything contained within it. And then there's, all right, we're in this life, but we're going to die. So when we die, what's going to happen afterwards? And then, you know, most religions will address the fact that, uh, yeah, there is going to be some sort of accountability or, you know, you're just going to come back as a lesser being, depending on how you've lived your life. And Islam addresses these two questions as well. You know, we know Allah, Allah is the creator. Uh, and he, he tells us there's going to be uh, accountability at the end of it. But now what makes Islam different, and this is where no one can deny this, even the people who try to claim that Islam is just spiritual, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has also told us what it's going to take for us to uh, attain a particular uh, outcome in the hereafter. Mm. If we follow the rules of what Allah has revealed, we will go to Jannah. Not merely being a good person in a vague understanding of what it means to be good, and you know, by adhering to what he has comprehensively told us and how to live our life, we will go to Jannah. And if we don't follow what he says, then for us is Jahannam or for whoever who well, would, you say, would you say would you say that that's a difference between like other other religions and Islam? Because what you just mentioned there, like other religions maybe answer the question of what's before and after. But Islam yeah. actually links it and gives us a, a complete system. Uh, totally. So if you look at, um, uh, let's look at Christianity here, historically, where, uh, you know, Britain was predominantly, uh, well, it's always been a Christian country. Um, and the legislation never actually came from Christianity. They used it partially in the sense that the king is God's uh, representative on earth, etc. But then it was the king who decided what people should do. And, you know, similarly to what happens in a lot of Muslim countries, he used the scholars, i.e. the priests, to kind of like justify that stance for him and uh, for him to basically go away and um, impose his dictatorship upon the people. Um, you know, even if you look at uh, a common one, for example, that uh, people think that the Zionists rule the world. You know, if you look at Judaism, Judaism doesn't give you a solution to life's problems. Judaism just gives you a few religious rules, but those, those solutions for life are actually coming from somewhere else. So Judaism itself doesn't give you a system of life. Islam is the only one comprehensively answering the fundamental questions of what's before life, what's going to happen to us while we die. And in order to link those two together, what you need to do in this life, Islam gives us the comprehensive rules. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so in like, 
I remember in the old days, man, we used to speak to people and, and, and it was like a dirty word as such. You say Islam is an ideology. And people are like, yo, where, where, you know, where are you going with this? You know, you, you, you're becoming a Marxist or something or you're communist or something. And I think maybe it's deliberate, like, you know, words like ideology have been sort of made negative, look negative. But the reality is, is that what is an ideology? An ideology is where you have a creed, you have a belief. And then from within this ideology, from within this creed, you know, emanates like, you know, you get a, a, you get a system. And what is this system? This system is exactly what Rush said at the beginning. Is systems of life. So this system tells you how this creed is implemented, how it's protected, and how it's sent propagated to other people. So yeah. if, if if that's an ideology, we see that Islam has an aqidah. From within this aqidah, it gives you systems of life, and which deal with not just your personal matters, societal matters, and then we have the methodology. We have a methodology that comes from Islam, not from like like you said. From like the king's uh, uh, scholars or the the clergy comes from Islam on how you implement Islam, mm -hmm. how you protect Islam, and how you carry Islam to the rest of mankind. Now, in reality, uh, Christianity, like you said, doesn't have that. Judaism doesn't have that. All other religions, even when they deal with right and wrong, or it's more through the hereafter. Or if you be like this, then in the hereafter you're gonna get dealt with. But Islam gives you a like a, a penal code here. For example, if you do this thing, you will be punished here, right? Mm. And I think, would I be correct to say that uh, Islam, why we say like the battle today is an ideological battle, because Islam is up against an, another ideology, which is capitalism. Mm. So hence why Islam is an ideology, capitalism is an ideology, hence why it's an ideological battle. So Islam is more than just a religion, isn't it? I think mm. that's, that's the point. Yeah, and, and this is an, an intentional ploy that's been happening for many years. And it, the terminology is very, very important because, you know, Islam, we see Islam as a deen. Mm. And when people talk about comparing, you can't compare a deen mm. with, Islam, with a religion. Okay, because like you said, and it links to those, the three fundamental questions, you know, the before, what came before life? Why am I here? And what is in the next life? A religion, as Afi was saying, deals with the, the first question and the third question. A deen deals with all three of the questions. And the true deen deals with all three of the questions from a single source. And this is very important. So when Muslims, like even as kids, in, especially in the Western world, when we go to school and we get taught about the different religions, we get taught of them as if they all, you know, if you were going to put them on a wall, you all stack them up next to one another. They're all at the level. You know, these people believe in Islam. These people believe in Sikhism. These people believe in Judaism. And they're all at a level and they're just a belief thing. Whereas no one at that point, and you know, you wouldn't expect them to, no one at that point said, oh, these are all religions because they answer some elements of your questions. But this one over here, Islam, is completely different. And it actually goes beyond just answering your, you know, your kind of belief matters. It also gives you rules and regulations and systems for life. They will never do that. We know that. But that was where that discussion turned into for our, certainly for us and our, you know, our, even our children, where it's just a comparison of religions. Whereas actually Islam isn't a religion. Islam is a deen. And the better translation of deen is, as you've already mentioned, is ideology. Deen is comprehensive. It answers 
all of those questions it gives you the spiritual and the political and in terms of arabic is talking about giving you the ibadah okay and that's linked to your relationship with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but it also gives you the mu'alamat which is dealing with your interactions with other people so when you're interacting with people be it with other muslims non-muslims men women children your elders the reason there are rules and regulations for all of those from islam is because it's comprehensive whereas you mentioned christianity christianity might give you some vague guidance and certainly the more new kind of new testament and things like that try to add more guidance to it but they always fell short because their guidance was very vague and it was limited to the spiritual it was never it yes okay being nice to your neighbor that's a little bit more than spiritual maybe in that, okay, you're helping your society, but it was always very limited. It never gave sufficient solutions for all of society. It might've might have made society a little bit better because each person looks after their neighbor, but it's very limited in its nature. Yeah, yeah. I think to be honest with you, you mentioned ideology, we mentioned all these things and people may, like I said, they may think that, you know, this is some sort of innovation and stuff, but the 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 reality the, the main thing is if, if anyone is uh versed if anyone has read the the seerah of the messenger muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam we will see that what we're talking about you know is written happened in medina we see that after the hijrah when the the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam migrated to medina he was now a head of state I remember Rash, we did that, that podcast uh, and it might have been deliberately uh, like a, a controversial title, which is, you know, was the messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, a politician? And, yeah. uh, you know, I got some hate on that one, I'll be honest with you. But the reality is, is that when the messenger migrated to Medina, he was already the head of state. He'd already been given that authority. And then we see that now that the, the system, now Islam is being established, now the Muslims have the power to do this. We see that the ayats and the, the ahkam, the rules, started to be revealed. So we see that the messenger, uh, you know, sallallahu alayhi wa he didn't just deal with spiritual matters of people, about the hell and heaven and stuff like this. You know, there were rules, there were punishments, there were inheritance, social system, you know, all of this. So the thing is, what we're talking about here, and, and the point I want to make clear, is something which is, is just Islam. The only thing why it might sound strange is because, like you said, a lot of us grew up at a time when you're in school and, and, and you know, Islam is just, you are, you're Muslim because you were, you were born in a Muslim family. Islam is just, just another religion, just another, you know, way to the one true God or something like that. But I think that's important to point out that what we're talking about is what was established by the messenger. And after him, we see what did... You know, Abu Bakr radiallahu, you know, Umar radiallahu, all of the great Sahabi and, and, and the Tabi'in and the Tabi Tabi'in, what did they do? They implemented Islam. They propagated Islam. They carried Islam to other nations via jihad. This is something that happened, you know. So this is not something that is being made up. And the reality is that, uh, and, and the one point I want to make is, you mentioned about Christianity and stuff. What we can see then is that the religions are spiritual creeds okay uh, what we see is that uh, ideologies in general are political creeds 
what makes Islam unique is that the, the Aqidah, the creed is both spiritual and political. Mm -hmm. So Islam is Islam. I wouldn't call it political Islam, but Islam by its nature is political because the creed itself deals with political issues. So spiritually, we see Islam speaks about belief in Allah, the day of judgment, you know, the concepts of reward and punishment. At the same time, we see that Islam deals with legislation, the laws of selling, buying, leasing, marriage, you know, appointment of the uh, appointment of the Khalifa, obeying him, the laws to do with punishments, jihad. All of these are political matters. So, um, you know, just to make it clear, then is that you know when we talk about politics before, politics is something which is just neutral. Islamic politics is basically politics that comes from the creed of Islam and we can see from what I've just mentioned and what all you guys have talked about is Islam is comprehensive and mm -hmm. political by by nature um, you know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in." you must have heard that a few times because I think it's in a few different verses when Allah says in," he's talking about an explanation for everything yeah, when he says it's an explanation mm -hmm. for everything, he's saying that in this book and from the revelation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's an explanation for before life, after life, your reason for being on this earth, your transaction, everything. And equally, you know, when we say the Quran is perfect, or Allah says Islam is perfect, it's because it gives you solutions for everything. Anything which had a, a flaw in it, in other words, or it had something missing, cannot be perfect so as you're saying and just to add because that just reminded me i think it's in surah nahal obviously it's part of a longer verse but i, I mentioned it on friday and and when you look at the tafsir it's breaking down to say look everything has been explained in here for you and you as a human being you have a purpose and that purpose and what you need to do with your life is explained for you in this book not just limited to your spiritual, in other words, what you do in your home and in your places of worship, but in all of society. Okay. Yeah, I've got, got a question I want to pose to Afi. I want to throw it to Afi. Um, so what we can see is that when, when we can see that Islam is political, right? I think that's made, I think that's be made clear. And then we can see that when when people are referring to political Islam, in reality, they are speaking about Islam itself, right? So Kafi, the question I got for you, and I will discuss it. I just want to throw it at you because uh, I wanted to get you in into the conversation a bit. Um, why is it that the the West then and on, on other governments, why are they trying to ban political Islam? Well, why why do they fear political Islam? And the the answer to this is actually linked to what Rush has actually said, which is when you either you accept what's before life and then what's after life and then link this to life itself and you look for those solutions and those systems in life to apply, or you'll answer the questions and then you look for an alternative system. And if that system that of, of life hasn't come from the creator, it's gonna naturally come from man. And man is subject to disparity. We're gonna use our own mind based upon what our whims and desires are. Um, and a lot of the time they will be selfish and we're gonna look for those solutions which actually meet our interests. And when I say our, we're talking about the individual one. And, if, and, and, and just to show you why this is a threat, I, you know, wanna take it back to day one. To day one when Muhammad got revelation, 
when they thought Muhammad was just someone talking about God, you know, he's hearing these voices from the sky, just like the Christians claim and the Jews claim, no one had a problem with him. No one had a problem. He, he wasn't a threat to anyone. They, they joked about it. They joked about it. They, they used to mock him. Yeah. Um, but the moment they realized, and remember, let's, let's look at what Medina was, uh, Mecca was like at the time. Mecca had a uh, aristocrat element part of society. These leaders of Quraysh were the ones who were the decision makers. They controlled what's going on, what went on. They were, they, they were the richest people from amongst the people of Mecca. Uh, and they used to go around and do whatever they wanted. You know, if they wanted to go and cheat in the marketplace, they would do so. And there was one rule for them and one rule for everyone else. But because they were the political elite, they could get away with it. But then when they realized that actually Muhammad now has something which is different. This is not like the Christians who keep themselves in the church. It's not like the, the Jews who keep themselves in their temples or their synagogues. This is something now is going to impact on us. This is going to change life itself because now he's come to liberate the slaves. He's come to give women their, uh, uh, treat women fairly. Um, you know, it's challenging, challenging the way that we interact in society. So therefore, this is a threat to me. So when they realized that it was a threat to their way of life and actually came to address the needs of the people as a whole, and it was a based upon intellect, it was based upon akal, you know, people can actually come out with the answer. Muhammad was challenging them. It wasn't just that he's claiming that I'm going to do this or we should be doing this. He was challenging their way of life. He goes, look, what you carry is false, yeah. right? This is the truth. Now, if you claim that what I'm saying isn't true, then you come back and correct me. And we know the challenges within mm -hmm. the Quran that if you're saying that this is the word of God, come back with a challenge, come back with something like it. And people know that they couldn't. They couldn't come back with the challenges. And that's what made Islam more of a threat. Because if it was just another religion like it was against uh, another religion where where it uh, hasn't got life solutions, you could challenge it. You can say, look, where are the solutions? It's like a personal thing, yeah? It's a personal thing. Or if it was another ideology, like you said, like communism, which doesn't uh, meet the needs of human nature, you can attack it with your propaganda because you could say, well, this, this isn't even rational. This doesn't meet the needs of the people. But where you've got something which is from the creator, not only that, there's an arrogance about the way we convey it because we're saying that if you're saying this is not true, come and prove it. An open challenge. We're saying this is the word of God. We could prove you to be incorrect, but we want you to now challenge us if you're going to reject this. This is more of a threat to people. So therefore, they have to resort to the cheap tactics, that, you know, the propaganda or, you know, like what they did in Mohammed Salam's case. Once it became very evident that this was political in nature, he wants to establish a state by which he's going to govern people's affairs and potentially take it to the rest of the world. It became more serious where they started to attack Mohammed Salam and, you know, even his life was a threat. You know what's crazy? You know what you just spoke about there from the time in Mecca? Someone may even argue that, oh, there was no even uh, no verses that were maybe even revealed of a political nature, right? But but they knew from day one because they understood, they understood what Islam was, they understood what the messenger the when the messenger was, Salah was attacking the marketplace and with the bad uh, habits and what's what's going on. How can you attack someone if you ain't going to bring something to improve it or, or, or to, to replace it? So, so it, had, it didn't need to be clear that, okay, this is my new plan for the marketplace. That wasn't needed. Certainly, what you subhanAllah is an amazing point because at that time, the Quraysh knew what was at stake. And that's why they offered the messenger loads of things, didn't they? 
Let me, can I just add an example? You know, another reason to see that. So if anybody says that there are no initially in Mecca when it was about Aqidah, when it was about the belief, when it was about building the foundation within the Muslims in terms of their thought, if anybody says that, okay, fine, there was nothing political in nature then, why did the Quraysh offer to have him lead the people? Why did they offer him a position of being a political leader? Because they themselves understood this call was political. They themselves understood this was something that needs to be implemented because you, someone could argue that, oh, okay, some of the other things like, you know, not burying your daughters, not cheating in the marketplace, not um, dealing with riba. And so even though some of those came, you know, the riba and some of those may have come later, some of them, some people could say the rules that came initially in Mecca were just kind of belief matters. But why is it that they were offering him to lead? Because they recognized it was political by nature. Yeah. And, and, and you know, just to add to you, Rash, the Christians kept themselves to themselves. The Jews, they kept themselves to themselves. Muhammad was conveying this statement, which struck, a, which hurt the, you know, the insides of everyone, right, who opposed it. Because just by looking at the Shahada itself, you see, by saying, La ilaha illallah, you're saying there is no God but Allah. So whatever you believe, these idols, uh, whether it's man itself, we reject. And then Muhammad and then saying to say Muhammad is the messenger is now saying that I am bringing you what this one creator has told me, right? Mm -hmm. So therefore, what I am bringing is the truth, and everything else that you guys stand for is incorrect, which these people from Quraysh had never experienced from anyone else, be it the Christians or the Jews, or from anyone else who claimed to have been a prophet. Mm -hmm. And that's why Muhammad's message was such a threat to them. So very early on, Raj, like you were saying, very early on with the limited rules that had been revealed, just by Muhammad conveying the shahada about what he mm -hmm. needed from people, it was enough to strike that chord of fear amongst people that this is a threat to our way of life. You know, and this is this is why they hate you know when the shahada they see the shahada and the hijab and things like that as political statements why do you think they want to ban things like the hijab not because it's a cloth because it's a political statement when you put the uh, the hijab when the sisters wear the hijab they are saying that look allah's rules should dominate over everybody else's it's a political statement and this is where that misunderstanding by even Muslims sometimes is what is um, causing our own downfall or causing issues for us. Equally, it's sad though, I don't know if any of you, have you read, um, it's, I think it's an, an Orientalist wrote this. So this is not even taking evidence from like Islamic sources, yeah? So um, Montgomery Watt, he wrote um, quite a significant book called uh, Muhammad, Prophet and Statesman. Yeah. And in that he criticizes the Prophet ﷺ many times. But what he highlights again and again is this person was a statesman. He was able to convince the most upright in society with a revelation and transform them. He was able to lead in a way where it was able to set up a foundation of a system that even after his passing was able to continue to spread. And he, he highlighted that something like this is not spiritual. It's not just like a, oh yeah, people like the sound of this. It answers, you know, why they are created, you know, it answers kind of, is there a creator and therefore people adopted it. He actually highlighted that Islam came, implemented these systems, and even after the person went away, because we see in many movements, when the leader dies, the movement sometimes dies with it. 
So this Montgomery, what he highlighted, that actually this proved that the message itself, the idea itself, how powerful it was, that even after this amazing person, the best of mankind for us passed away, the system was able to continue and it was able to continue to spread via the people who inhibited this idea. Yes, uh, just to throw another quote in there, which actually just just to highlight that this this fear of Islam is not just a new phenomena, and hence they've coined political Islam. I just want to give you a quote by Samuel Huntington, who's a Harvard lecturer, and he actually he, uh, he, he kind of contributes to various think tanks. And he said, some people have argued that uh, the West do not have a problem with Islam. Mm -hmm. And the next bit is the one where he clarifies. Actually, this is going back to what Muhammad Sallam brought because he goes, he goes the last. 1400 years of history prove otherwise. Mm -hmm. They're referring back to when Islam was revealed and Islam was implemented as a state and that we've got a problem with this. This is where the West have a problem, not just with what's happening recently with the, you know, what, you know, the examples are you know, everyone's familiar with under this guise of terrorism, but they're going back to Islam to its roots and saying this is proof that the West has a problem with Islam. Mm. Yes, yeah, so I mean, the, the, the fact that you know what uh after you started off by going back to day one and uh you know with the, with the rush point about about the quote uh, about you know islam uh, the prophet establishing establishing a system i think the, the point main point is the fact that the, the the reason why the resistance uh was there for the messenger uh وسلم, is the same reason why that resistance is there today it's because of those people whose interests are at stake. So we see the Quraysh, for them, had, they, had Islam become uh, widespread or people accepted it, then they would have no legitimacy in a sense because what gave them their real legitimacy was the fact that they housed the idols of pagan Arabia, okay? But that would have been gone now, right? So it was their interests. And even though many of them knew deep down that Islam was the truth, right they never accepted it so what we see today is 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 the same thing that you know when we spoke about ideologies i one of the things that's inherent in an ideology is that it spreads so if you have two ideologies it's inevitable there's going to be a clash because at some stage they're going to meet and one has to prevail over the other going back to the points you guys were making is that you know allah gives the solutions from what was before what was after and here now and and the the you know people who don't accept Islam they use their own aql their mind. One needs to prevail over the other, but one's based on truth, and one's based on falsehood. Hence, why we see that even the the even you know uh, the dishonesty in their attack against Islam, you know the fact that they don't just say okay let's discuss on an ideological level who's right and who's wrong. You know you have these false flag attacks. You have all these this, you know they're showing Islam in a in a barbaric, in a backward manner, this is cheating, this is dishonesty, this is not being, you know, honest. And, and the reality is, who's doing this? It's not the normal people. The normal people just believe what the governments tell them, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why it's no surprise that they want the normal people to fear Muslims. They want the normal people to fear Islam. The same way the Quraysh used to tell people uh, who came to the pilgrimage, you don't listen to this guy. He breaks up families and he's gonna, you know, he he's causing chaos within Mecca and stuff like that. Is the same propaganda that's being used today. And even in the speeches, you know, to be honest with you, uh, on the 16th of November, Macron, 
he made a, a, a speech about, uh, well, to be honest with you, it was about Islam coming back. But what did, what did he say? He said, Europe was, he said Europe was fighting against the colossal step backwards in history. What he meant backwards was, and he explains it, authoritarian regional powers are re-emerging. Obviously, it's not about Turkey, but theocracies are re-emerging. It is an extraordinary, extraordinary acceleration of a return of religion on the political scene in a number of these countries. So what basically he's saying is that, you know, we do not want Islam to come back on the political scene on, at a state level. Why? Because, you know, if it is, then our own uh, world order, our own status quo, or the status quo as the world is right now is under threat. So the next question I want to pose to you guys, right? It's probably, you speak to most Muslims and uh, I think the old, old uh, uh, excuses or reasons of, oh, it's all about oil. I don't hear that anymore. Most people, even your normal guys will probably not even practicing. They will say, yeah, you know, there's a war against Islam going on, right? So why, why, why do they call out political Islam? Why do they call out Islamism or separatist Islam? Why don't they just say, we have a problem with Islam. Islam needs to reform, or basically, we're going to deal with it. Why? Why didn't they just be honest in their in their attack? What do you guys think? So, so I'm going to give you an analogy. Yeah. So I've been thinking about this one a little bit. Um, so imagine an, an analogy of two people fighting. Yeah, and obviously in boxing, and on one of for one of them, you go, I'm going to take your boxing glove away from you. Yeah, or I'm going to take your strength away from you. Or if tie I take your hand behind your back or something. Sorry, yeah, tie your hand behind your back or, you know, you can't, in other words, you can't fight. You haven't got your weapon, yeah? Or take another sport or something where the analogy is two people are coming together to, in a battle and to one of them, you remove the thing that's going to help them win the battle or even compete. So to me, when they remove the political nature of Islam, which I think we've already been discussing that Islam is political in nature, when you remove that element, it's like removing the weapon from that person who's in that fight. Okay, so all of a sudden what you're doing is you then let the two clash, but then it's no longer a fair battle. The, the one with the weaponry, the one with the, the more wealth, the one with all the superiority in terms of material, then succeeds over the one without it. So what they've done with Islam is they've recognized that, look, Islam is more than just a religion. But if we can make people think it's a religion, if we can remove its political dimension, if we can remove its strength, then when the two clash, we can win more easily. And I think that's why they make sure that if we tell everybody, oh, okay, we know that Islam is political, we're fighting Islam, all of a sudden everybody will stand up and go, wait there, it's an outright open attack on Islam. In the same way as when they attacked the Prophet most recently, people were up in arms because they saw that as an attack on them. Mm. Yeah, Attacking the messenger is attacking me. Attacking the messenger is attacking us. Yeah. yeah. Whereas when they attack political Islam and when they've convinced us and not just them, our mosques have convinced us that leave politics out of Islam. Don't talk about politics in Islam. Take politics out of the masjid. When our own 
people knowingly, unknowingly, sincere or insincere have made us think that politics is not part of Islam, then when they attack political Islam, we think it's not an attack on us. And that's why it's an yeah. underhand attack. To go back to the example of that in Vienna, the guy killed people, uh, some gunman killed people, and the next day they're talking about banning political Islam. Exactly, it doesn't make sense. Because most of the these... normal Muslim thing, though, what is the normal Muslim thing? Oh, yeah, the mo no, sorry, go on. Political Islam is linked to the uh, exactly, and that's intentional because, and we know the vast majority of these people who carry out these so called terrorist attacks are people who are linked to the intelligence agencies, people who are not remotely practicing people who often don't have anything to do with this so-called political Islam actually just have to do with, you know, have either been planted or they've been brainwashed or, you know, something or the or they're linked to ISIS and we know the roots of the likes of ISIS. So what that does is make people instantly go, ah, it's political Islam is the problem. Islam, it's not, they're not talking about my Islam. And that, that, that's um, intentional. Yeah, so basically what you're saying is the, the main point is is to attack the aspect of it. This wicked example you gave, by the way, bro, is to, uh, to, to attack the aspect that gives you the strength uh, and actually is the aspect which they fear, which is the political aspect, but do it in a way where, you know, the, the people who are coming to watch that fight that you were talking about, they don't see any... No, they don't see it. They don't see it. So, the, you know... They don't see the fact that actually that's us. He's the, the person in there is representing us, but they don't see it because all they see is that this guy is, uh, you know, uh, following some innovation. Mm -hmm. And ju just, to add on, just to add one point, and it's an interesting one, I thought, you know, uh, recently the, uh, there was a statement made by the uh, scholars, the Council of Scholars in Saudi, I mentioned at the beginning, where what they said is they made a, a comment, uh, they passed a fatwa against Islamic Brotherhood. Mm. What I find interesting is, you know, actually Saudi Arabia in 2014, uh, if I'm not wrong, they uh, blacklisted Brotherhood then. So it's not recent. Mm. But what happened recent was that the council of these scholars, check this out, they described that the Brotherhood, they described the Brotherhood as a deviant group that undermines coexistence within nations and stirs up sedition sedition, violence, and terrorism, right? Mm. What they said is that the group pursues its partisan goals in, a in an attempt to seize power for itself and does so under the cover of religion. It said that the history of the organization is one of evil strife, extremism, and, extremism and terrorism. But, but it gets even more interesting. They said that as a result, the council said that any form of support including funding for the Brotherhood, or basically they meant any groups that are uh, promoting a political version of Islam, mm. is forbidden according to Quran and Sunnah, right? Um, and, and what's strange then, what's strange is in May 2014, Brotherhood is blacklisted. Mm. Do you not think, am I just being like, am I like just being uh, too suspicious or like conspiracy theorist that with all this stuff, going on right now with Austria saying let's ban political Islam, what's mm. happening in France, what's happening in all these places, that the scholars choose it now the time to not just say that these guys are banned, to actually say they're deviants from Islam. Mm. Okay? Do you think that's a coincidence? 
And, and this is where we know for many years now that there are scholars who, and we've been warned about this. Remember, there are hadith about this. There will be scholars, there will be people in these positions of influence who will actually normalize what the corrupt rulers are saying and what the enemies of Islam. So be it the munafiqeen, be it the, the enemies of Islam, what they are trying to do in order to fight Islam, there will be scholars, there will be people in these positions of influence who will um, back up their words. And this is exactly what's happening. However, you, you, we say, we look at that in a negative way because we know it negatively affects the ummah. But personally, I also think there's a positive side to it is because you know all the misguidance that these scholars speak now is it's more clearly misguidance because it's so blatant. So when they're making out, you know, when you get some scholars who are saying it's okay to normalize with Israel and when you get some scholars who are, you know, the things that they come out now, which are blatantly pro Enemy, the enemies of Islam or supporting the enemies of Islam, the truth and the falsehood become more clear. The gray area is reduced and the truth and the falsehood is more clarified. And I think in that respect, yes, we'll still suffer because of it, because many people may believe them, but at least the people who know a little bit more, they will look at it and they'll be able to discern the truth from the falsehood. So just to, just to add to what Rash has said, and I think I just want to tackle it from two two angles. One, which is uh, them actually coming out and making statements like this, and then the other one, actually, why are they doing it? Mm. Uh, and that just the, the the talk about making the statements like this is again linking it back to Muhammad as the as the enemies of Islam, be it the hypocrites or the uh, yeah, the, the, the Quraysh who they were, once they saw Muhammad's goal becoming a reality and they could mm -hmm. visualize it, actually he's close to it. The intensity and the attack on Islam got greater and it got greater and it got greater to the point whereby they were going to kill him while he was in his sleep, kill the messenger while he was in his sleep. And we could draw parallels to that today, whereby, you know, the Ummah itself, so that's the, and, and we know that these scholars and uh, a lot of these scholars, be it from Saudi Arabia or wherever, they're, they're making these statements that are in line with what the king or the crown prince want them to say. And we know where he's being influenced from. But just to bring it back to the people now, because obviously there must be something happening in the people that's making them become more uh, arrogant and open about uh, that, that treachery. Because this is exposing them and it's a very risky strategy because the moment they are fully exposed, the people will not have anything to do with them. Mm -hmm. And we can see that when you look at um, from, the, from around the 50s, the Muslims started to become politicized again by the definition that you gave, Rash. They're starting to realize Islam is more than a religion and we've got to live our life according to, uh, to Islam in this life. And you could see that they were interacting more and that they were became, beginning to become vocal about what was happening with regards to their interests when it came to looking after the affairs of the people, looking after their own affairs, when the decisions were made by people from a solution other than Islam. And there's this, as a result, this Islamic fraternity started to arise as well. So then the West realized, wait a minute, let's, the intensity of the West got greater. So 9-11, they went in and they actually went into the Muslim lands from the hell out from established a presence trying to, and, and, and you know, it wasn't just in the Muslim lands. We felt it living in the West, becoming a Muslim and being openly, uh, you know, being visually seen as Muslim was 
was hot. Women, our sisters were getting attacked. Women in hijab were getting attacked. Guys with beards were, you know, even if they were Sikhs, they were getting attacked because people associated a beard with, with being a Muslim. Yet this didn't weaken the resolve of the Muslims. Mm. This strengthened it, if anything. And uh, recent examples where, um, you know, uh, they then the propaganda started and they tried to start talking about Islam, political Islam being dirty. But then recently you get um, Erdogan in Turkey with the uh, conversion of Hagia Sophia from a cathedral uh, back into, a, uh, sorry, from a museum and back into a mosque. It emboldened Muslims again yeah. because they were linking this. Actually, this is a, this is a sign of Muslims turning their, even in Turkey, turning their back on secularism because the decision to uh, convert it into a cathedral under uh, Ataturk was now being reversed back and linking it back to the, uh, the, uh, the history of the uh, Islamic State that people were actually beginning to realize that, yeah, you know what, this politicization mm. of Muslims was, mm. was there and it was clear and Muslims' uh, support for Erdogan, be it from Turkey or from the rest of the Muslim world, was there to support Erdogan, despite the attacks that were coming out from the likes of UAE and um, Saudi Arabia. So they could see there that the Muslims in, this con in their countries were now showing a bit of disconnect from the scholars and the uh, ruler, ruler uh, the leadership in in their countries and showing affiliation with someone else purely because it was on the Islamic value. Definitely. Yeah. You know, to extend what you were just saying there, you know, if I was to take what you said as a bit of an analogy as well, you know, what you've highlighted is that Muslims are now starting to appreciate that Islam is more than just this religion. And look, we want identification of that within uh, more in society, which is therefore political. Yeah. In addition to that, it also links to the point of things like democracy, because what that says is this is and it's linked to this topic of political Islam as well. It's, it's, it's highlighting the fact that in order for us to give you a new version of Islam, Islam is this whole. Yeah. We need to take an element out of it, the political bit, in order to put the democracy bit in. Yeah. You see, from a, from a kind of a visual point of view, it's almost like saying we already know Islam is whole. So therefore, something else can't go into it. It doesn't fit. It's this perfect whole. Something else doesn't fit. So the way for us to insert, impregnate, corrupt um, it with democracy is to remove something and therefore the political aspect and inject it with something from their creed, which is, the, which is democracy, isn't it? And that's where a lot of the issues in the Muslim world that we're seeing or have seen over the last decades is because of this forced enforcement of democracy being put into the, into the Muslim lands, which is something they don't accept um, holistically. Yeah, and the danger really, to be honest with you, is, is what you guys mentioned before, is, is, the, is the from within. Mm. You, know, you just mentioned, Rash, that you need to remove a part to do a transplant, right? Yeah. Or kufr, right? But, but the thing is, is that, you know, if, if the surgeon, surgeon, you know, is uh, uh, someone who is known to be your enemy, you ain't going to let him touch you, right? Yeah, exactly. But if he's someone who comes across, you know, as, uh, you know, someone who you know, who's someone like, you know, part of you, then you could fall into it. And that's why, if you think about it, we have, I just want to add one thing, one thing, that even if you think about the attack on, just say, uh, uh, Sahih al-Bukhari or the attack on the Hadith, the Sunnah, 
a lot of this isn't non-Muslims that are coming out and saying this. It's people from within that are saying, look, you know, there's a lot of doubts over these hadiths. And you know, sometimes I say, that's the danger. Did, did, yeah, did you read what that guy from Chatham House said recently? You know, Chatham House, like, you know, they're like a like massive, the world leading institute, international affairs. I think they're based in the UK. Yeah. And the guy, I think, what is it? Um, Dr. George's Fahmi. Yeah. So what he said was, and I, it's a long statement, I'll paraphrase it. He highlighted that he, um, he called out Macron. Yeah. He said to Macron, the way you're going about it, this is the wrong way. If you make it an open battle of civilizations, don't let it be another clash of civilizations. You know, that's not going to work. We need to go back to our strategy where we, and some of the words he used were uh, Muslim actors um, who can do the job from within, um, who have legitimacy amongst their people so that the projects that we do are on the ground and we can turn it into a version of Islam without openly saying we want a new version of Islam. It was so blatant. Yeah. And, and th this is where I think if anybody's taking stuff away from this podcast is these are the things to read. Chatham House, they come out with things which clear should make it very clear the strategies of the enemies of Islam against Islam. Sorry, the enemies of is Islam. Yeah. Equally, um, the Rand report, is, even the one written all the way back in 2004, it's 500 pages long as part of like, Project Air Force, which is called the Muslim world after 9-11. 500 pages of breaking down so many different Muslim organizations, which ones are close to democracy, which ones are far from democracy, which ones can we influence, which ones are closer to violence, which ones are, are far away from violence. All of these institutes and the Brookings Institute as well, if you read some of the stuff they come out with, it's absolutely blatant that they see this political element of Islam as being the real enemy for them and how they can remove this from Islam when we know Islam as you said at the beginning Islam is Islam it's political you don't need to call it political Islam they're doing that intentionally you know just to the run you mentioned run report is mm. funny enough I had some quotes here from it okay and it's, it's, it's it, there's so much in there man but I just took two tiny quotes out and I'll, sh I'll show you what I mean going back into what you're saying so one was encourage the popularity and acceptance of Sufi, Sufism, right? Mm -hmm. And the other one was build up the stature of Sufism, encourage countries with strong Sufi traditions to focus on that part of their history and to include it in their school curricula, pay more attention to Sufi Islam. Now I'm not here to uh, take a dig at Sufi Islam, but, the, but it's clear that they see Sufi Islam, Sufi Islam as being purely a spiritual thing, right? Um, and to be honest with you, there's a big debate of Sufism in regards to the original Sufis on the next scale anyway, right? But we're not having that discussion here. But you can see here that even they are saying that what we need to do is, like you said, if we've got a, a list of the different types of Muslims, which ones are going to be our best allies from their point of view, right? They think, okay, the Sufis, because they're spiritual, they're mystical, right? They ain't bothered about, like, you know, taking Islam to the rest of the world as, uh, as it was done by the Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and the Sahaba and the, the, the Khulafa after. They're more about 
fighting the inner battles and the inner demons and so on. So for them, and it goes back to the point Afi made, was that had the Messenger وسلم, in Mecca just spoke to people about the oneness of a God and stuff like that, in the same way maybe there were Hanifs at that time, right? If he spoke to them about just fasting, if he spoke to them about just making the Hajj, if he spoke to them about just about, you know, um, just about the Kalama or, you know, like the, the five pillars, giving Zakat and stuff that is, a lot of these things the people at the time did anyway. They would have actually said, they would have done what people are doing today. They would have said, we'll build you a mosque. We'll set up a, a, a really nice organization with how you can collect your zakat and so on. They would have had no problem. But like Afi said, the moment they realize, actually, what's, what the call is actually to is a, it's not a patch up of society. It's a complete destruction of what's already there and to build on it a new system that hadn't been seen. They understood that. And the people today, they understood, they understand this. And that's why what they are trying to do, and going back to your example, uh, uh, Rash, of taking something out and putting it in, even that something they're putting it in, they, know they won't call it secularism. They'll call it modern Islam. They will call it moderate Islam, right? So what we can see from the discussion, because I want to sort of like bring it to an end, what we can see from the discussion and from what you guys have said, um, we can see that Islam certainly is uh, spiritual and both political. We can see this from the rules. We can see that Islam deals with the three relationships between man and himself, man and Allah, and man and society. And we can also, we discussed about why, why are they calling it political Islam? They're calling it political Islam is because that's the aspect which they fear. So like you said, Rash, if they can remove that, if they can remove that which gives the Muslims the strength, then basically they can deal with the guy who just wants to sit under a tree and meditate all day long. He's not, he's not a problem to them. The guy in the mosque, I heard an example ages ago, so I don't know how true this is, but it's something like the French when they landed in Egypt and uh, they asked someone, where's everyone? And they said they're in the mosques. And then one of the generals or something said, let's go and get them in the mosque. And another general said like something like, listen, don't do that. As long as they're in the mosque, it's not a problem. It's when they come out of the mosque, mm. they will be a problem, right? I don't know how true this story is, but the point is the same. The fact that if they, if they can get a version of Islam, which is not political, which just deals with yourself, this is not a threat for them. What is a threat for them is the same thing that was a threat to the Quraysh, to the Romans, to the Persians, to the people after them is the fact that Islam is the haq and Islam deals with all of life's issues and Islam is something as Allah subhanahu wa says that he is, he is the one who sent Islam as a deen of haq to make it prevail over all other, all other deens. This is what they fear. So guys, what I want to do is get your final thoughts before, you know, sort of like bring this podcast to a, to a close and uh, brother Afi, I'll start with you inshallah. You know, your final thoughts on on uh, anything you want to add to what we've discussed so far? I would um, just urge the brothers and sisters that um, you know we, we we need to hold on. Uh, there's a hadith that comes to mind where you know Muhammad Sallam said there will come a time when holding on to Islam is going to be like holding on to a hot piece of coal or a coal or a rock, uh, and just don't let go. You know, we we've got to, and you know, 
we know is the truth. We've seen it transform society for 1400 years from, you know, just a few people in the, in the desert to transforming the world, ending famine, you know, giving uh, people a real quality of life uh, for Muslims and non-Muslims. So, you know, we, we, we've got the truth. We need to go back to it. And the attempts of the Kofar and the way that they're trying to um, attack us for being Muslims and trying to attack us to be scared to openly proclaim what it is that we believe, it's a sign that we're going in the right direction. And we can't, we can't go backwards. We can't fall victim to this, you know, out of fear of, of fear of what these people are, you know, or, or, you know what they're going to say about us. You know, we've got our, our aim here is to only attain the pleasure of Allah. And this is what Allah requires from us to attain his pleasure. So we need to hold tight onto Islam. Yes, well said, bro. Well said. Uh, Rush. A few little things. I won't make a too long a point. Um, firstly, you know, when we look at Islam, and I think a lot of us, I know us, we come from Asian subcontinent. Yeah. If it wasn't for the political nature of Islam, we would not be Muslim today. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Islam spread because it is political by nature. Yeah. To all of a sudden just put aside that, that element of Islam and just be, you know, yes, we're thankful that we are Muslim, but let's understand why we are Muslim and how Islam spread and Islam being this deen and this ideology that has all of these solutions for mankind. So let's not throw away that side which actually makes us strong and what has helped to make us Muslim today. Yeah, We live in a world now where there's a sole superpower and the whole world is under the trap of capitalism and because we live in this world where there's not like these multiple ideologies at state level clashing yeah that's why the capitalists are able to propagate these corrupt ideas into our lands in order to weaken us even with you know because we don't have um, a political entity that is going to battle for us from an Islamic point of view, they can get away with these things of trying to make Islam non-political. Years ago, everybody knew Islam was political because there were these clashes going on and people knew that if Islam was victorious, that place would come under the political rulership of Islam. Today, because all nations are governed by capitalism and democracy, that seems foreign to us. And that's very important to recognize. Um, other little things just to mention as well is that if you study the seerah of the Prophet وسلم, with sincerity, with, with um, keeping a clear mind and not just looking at it just as a set of stories, it's very, very obvious that the mission of the Prophet وسلم, was a political mission. It was a mission to bring Islam, implant Islam on this earth and then for it to spread. To read the seerah and not realize that Islam is political is not to read the seerah at all. Yeah. And then my last point is that, you know, in the, our masajid, this is very important. What we've done in our masajid, we have all of these Quran, Qurans stacked up. Yeah. And when we propagate the Quran in our masajid, what we do is we take that Quran from the shelf. We take a few pages from it and we propagate that. And the rest of that Quran, which is talking about the implementation of Allah Sharia on this earth, we leave it on the shelf or we chuck it out of the mosque altogether, figuratively speaking. Yeah, 
Because what we're doing is we're taking this much of Islam and leaving behind the rest. And this is a major problem. And this is why they're attacking that and trying to convince us that this political element of Islam doesn't exist. So don't be duped by these terminologies. As, and I'm not going to repeat that point because you mentioned it before. Because these terminologies are trying to make us not understand our Islam. And that's where we need to go back to. Yeah, yeah. No, Sakhlam. To be honest with you, you guys made all the points. But just a few things I want to, I want to add to what, what you guys have said. Firstly, what uh, you know, uh, Rashi mentioned about the, the situation of the Ummah. I think... And actually what Afi said as well, to be honest with you, that as Muslims, there's something that's, that's going right in the sense, like, you know, like we, we paint a picture that it's all chaos and it's doom and Muslims are so far from Islam. You know, at the moment, just think about it. The Muslims, we don't have a state. We don't have, we don't have a Khilafah. We don't have a Khalifa, an Imam that's going to run our affairs, you know, who's going to protect us and who from behind him we're going to fight. We don't have all of this. Yet, we have the global superpower and his cronies, right, spending trillions and gazillions or whatever alien amount of money and effort in trying to fight a people who don't even have like, don't even have a state. So you can gauge from that. And remember, one brother made a fantastic point was they're capitalists. What do they love the most? Capital. They're willing to spend that capital, right, which they love the most on something of on a threat which normally people think. Why are they doing it for? They must be for resources, but it's because they understand that the strength of the Muslims is when they're going to be united and they're going to come about, then that's really going to be something which is going to bring about the end. So a really good point that Afi made is we need to be confident. We need to be, you know, uh, confident about our deen. We need to understand that uh, when they come out with these labels, it's to disunite us, you know, but what we have to understand, and the final point I want to make is that Islam is Islam, brothers and sisters. When they're attacking political Islam or this Islam, they are attacking Islam. They are attacking your Islam. They are attacking my Islam. They are attacking the Islam of the Messenger Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. That's the reality. And if we fall into the traps of these titles and these names, then we're just going to become bystanders in this battle where actually we need to be on the front line and and you know i want to end on the point that the non-muslims the enemies of islam shall i say rather they understand islam they understand what the return of islam will do and that's why they are fighting it you know so severely they understand this but as muslims we have to ask ourselves have we understood this because if we understood this what are we doing to bring about its return and that's something that we all need to think about. We all need to think about. Um, but yeah, brothers, we can continue chatting and all that. I think we'll end it on that note, somewhere which we can all, first me and myself and all of us, we can reflect and ponder about where do we play a role in what's going on. I want to say big Jazakallah Khair for my uh, uh, co-host and the guest, uh, Brother Afi. You need to get you back on sooner than later because it's a pleasure, truly a pleasure. Uh, and Brother Rash's business as usual, you know, the main man. Uh, and also uh, to all, you know, big jazakallah hair for anyone who's listened or watched this podcast. Um, I really uh, encourage everyone to go to the Voice of the Ummah YouTube page, subscribe, share it with your family and friends, the Voice of the Ummah Instagram page, Facebook page, you know. Uh, this is a collective duty of getting this awareness out 
and uh, it's our responsibility to do this. So inshallah on that note, I would bid farewell to my uh, amazing brothers who are in company at the moment. And a big zakalahir, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh to all of you out there.